Our next lesson comes from the book of Romans. I'll be reading from chapter 13, beginning at verse 11 of chapter 13 and going through verse 14. Before I read, let me welcome those who are worshiping with us today by way of live streaming. We appreciate your attendance through this medium, and we look forward to the day when you can perhaps be with us. But we certainly consider you a part of our life and ministry here at First Presbyterian Church. Writing to the church at Rome, Paul says, Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several times a week, it seems, I, I found, find myself, when I get home from work, having dinner with Steve Harvey. You know who Steve Harvey is. He's the host of this game show, Family Feud. And I usually see part of that because what I'm really waiting for is my favorite show, Jeopardy, to come on. But at any rate, uh, Steve Harvey's a funny host. And the, the premise of the show, you've probably seen it, is a number of people are interviewed and asked a question. And so you get a list of four to eight answers that the audience gave to the question that was asked. So this morning I want to just play a little game and imagine if the question being asked was this, what is the most annoying sound you hear? What is the most irritating sound that you hear? What do you think an audience would say? How would they respond? What would you say to that question if you were being asked? I can think of several things as possibilities. What about the the squealing of the tires on the pavement when the brakes are slammed on, that's not a sound you want to hear. Um, back in the days when we had chalkboards, you knew, remember a new piece of chalk on the board, a chalkboard? Yeah. Young people don't know what that's about today. We don't have chalkboards anymore. Uh, but the sound of a child having a temper tantrum, screaming, if it's not your child. If it's your child, it's okay. But if it's someone else's child, that is truly irritating. What about when we get feedback on the sound system? Nobody likes that sound. That's irritating and annoying. But if I were to suggest an answer, at least from my perspective, it might be the sound of an alarm clock going off in the morning. Somewhere on that list would have to be the sounding of an alarm beside a sleeping person resting comfortably. Is anything more annoying or irritating about that? Because when the alarm goes off, you know, immediately it's time to get up. Something's going on. You have some responsibility or you wouldn't have set the alarm clock. You've got something you're supposed to do and you can't even remember at that moment what day it is or what it is you're supposed to do. But you know there's something or you wouldn't have set the alarm. So the sound of an alarm clock going off is a sound that's universally disliked, personally irritating, whatever your station or situation in life. Now, if you're one of these laid-back people... It just may be a slight irritant to you to hear an alarm go off. But if you're like me, I am compulsive about time. I have a problem with it, really. 
my wife and I have had more arguments about time than any other subject throughout the 50 years we've been married. Because if an invitation comes where to be somewhere at 7 o'clock, I figure you ought to get there maybe about 5 to 7, something like that. In her mind, that's rude if you were to show up then. You ought to show up about, well, I don't know, 7.20, 7.30, something like that. That's, that's close enough. And so I've just had to live with this throughout my, my, my life. Wife didn't hear it right now, so I can talk about this at length, you know. So. But she's coming tomorrow. We're supposed to be somewhere at 6, so I hope we'll make it. So I'll do my best, Peter. At any rate, the sound of alarm going off is an irritating sound. Um, I, like I say, I have problems with that. I'm almost pathological about it. Laid-back people, you know, it doesn't bother you that much. But if you're a type A personality, you can get downright apoplectic when the alarm goes off. Because you know there's something you're supposed to be doing. And you know you're not ready for it. Now, I don't know who to blame for this condition, condition uh, other than myself, of course. I have to blame someone else. So the first person that comes to mind is my father. Because when I was growing up, my father would get up. Of course, he went to sleep at sun, sundown. But he would get up at 5 o'clock and cook breakfast for the family. And he would be at my door, knocking on my door at 5 o'clock every morning, saying, time's a-wasting, get up, to my brother and me. So maybe it goes back to my father and that sound of knocking on the door telling me to get up, knowing that I had something to do. I never did any study at night when I was growing up. I did all my study in, morning, in the morning after breakfast. Uh, but at any rate... Uh, there were things to do, things to prepare, maybe a chapter to read of a book or a test to prepare for, something like that. Uh, but maybe my father's not responsible for this compulsive condition I have. It's probably due to, um, well, Phil and, I'm drawing a blank on his name. You remember the Everly brothers? Don, Don and Phil. The first, the first record I ever bought in 1957 was a little 45 RPM, Wake Up Little Susie. You remember that? Wake up, little Susie, wake up, wake up, little Susie, wake up. We've both been fast asleep. Wake up, little Susie, and weep. The movie's over, it's 4 o'clock, and we're in trouble deep. Wake up, little Susie, wake up, little Susie. I think that's where it comes from. So I'm going to blame the Everly Brothers for this thing I have about time. Um, but certainly an alarm clock is an, an irritating sound, but it has to be. If an alarm clock just played some kind of comforting, peaceful sound, it wouldn't serve its purpose, would it? So it needs to be like that. Well, why bring up about alarm clocks? The reason is because the first Sunday of Advent is supposed to be like a spiritual alarm clock for followers of Jesus Christ. If you look at the texts that are there every first Sunday of Advent and every year in the liturgical calendar, all the passages that are suggested are abrasive and disturbing, warning people, witnessing to people that you better get ready for the Lord's return because he's coming at a time and in a way that you will not expect and you should not be caught off guard. And so the mood for the first Sunday of Advent, at least, in the early days of Advent is a serious mood, a somber mood. Uh, the weather today is perfect for the first Sunday of Advent. We remember those who lived in darkness that were waiting in anticipation for the coming of the promised uh, Savior. Generation after generation, century after century. So in the early days of Advent, we try to identify 
to long with expectancy for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, but we do not do in this in Western culture, we don't do somber very well. We prefer happy, joyful occasions. We want to get into our Christmas carols already. We don't want to sing the dirges as they're often described of Advent because they're so somber. How can you celebrate in a minor key if a hymn is being sung? And yet that is what is called for if you're really going to prepare for the arrival of the Son of God. It is a time to think not about our desires and our needs, but rather to think about what is it that God expects of us? What is it that God desires for us? How will we respond and get ready? Because to prepare for the return of the king, the second coming of the king, requires confession of our sins, repentance, the examination of one's life and witness, what we're doing as stewards of God, how we're handling what has been entrusted to us, our time, our talent, our monies, our resources, our very lives. How are we investing these for the purposes of God? That is how we prepare for the arrival of King Jesus. Now, frankly, we're caught between two emotions and convictions, contrasting emotions and competing convictions when it comes to the season of Advent. We're almost in a time warp because we not only have our memories of the past that we recall in this season, the first coming of the king and his birth in Bethlehem and the life he lived and his powerful resurrection, but also his return, his promised return. How do we get ready and prepare for that? On the one hand, we want to celebrate. That's natural for this season of the year. But we're not there yet. Because first, we need to repent. First, we need to examine ourselves. And our churches need to examine their, themselves. If we are to be ready when that king returns. We're not to focus on the things of the flesh as Paul writes, but rather on the things of the Spirit. Preparation is an order. It's timely and essential because the truth of the matter is no one knows when that day will be. None of us. Jesus didn't know, we're told in our text this morning. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows. And he has not revealed to us when that day will be and therefore preparation is always in order. There will come a day of accountability when you and I will stand before our Creator and Redeemer and account for the use we have made of what in His grace He has entrusted to us. What have we done with this word? What have we done with our very lives? What have we done with our talents and times and energies and resources? A lot of Christians believe, oh, Christians won't have to face judgment. There's nothing about that in Scripture. Everyone will be judged. Now, you might say we will not be condemned because of our sin, because Christ has already paid the penalty for that, but we still will have to account for the lives that we've lived. How do we plan to do that? We're told that churches will be judged by what they have done, how faithful they have been. The book of Revelation has the letters to the seven churches, makes it clear that even congregations will be judged and held accountable. But more to the point, you and I as individuals will have to give an accounting as well. 
And I would say, unless the Lord returns very soon, and he well may, that for most of us, that will be at the time of our death, our day of accountability. And here, too, that cannot be predicted for anyone here today because no one here today has been promised tomorrow. doesn't matter whether you're young or old or healthy or sick. Next Sunday, all of us may not be here. Certainly next Advent, all of us will not be here. And therefore, preparation is always in order. We will have to explain to our God about the lives we have lived. And that's a serious matter, far more serious than explaining to Susie's mama and daddy why you're so late coming in from the movie. What are we going to tell your mom? What are we going to tell your dad? What are we going to tell our friends when they say, ooh, la, la? That's beside the point. What are we going to say to our God who has entrusted so much into our hands? The world is all ready to sing with Burl Ives, uh, have a holly jolly Christmas, but we're not there yet. And we can't get there appropriately or theologically correct unless first we prepare the way for his coming in our own lives and in the life of our world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.